0: Hello and welcome to Beach House 34, the show that dives deep into true crime cases, revealing the truths behind crimes that reveal shocking secrets. Stories sure to make you just a little more paranoid and maybe even lose sleep. Here is your host, Christine Wirth. Hello and welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a case that took place in a small town in Washington State. Now, this story has everything. Money, drugs, an affair, and a murder in the most heinous way. This is the story of Lacey hurst Pavic. Lacey Hurst Povick was born and raised in the small town of Tenasket in Washington state. And this is a community located roughly 30 miles from the Canadian border. The town is so small that it doesn't even have a traffic light. Because it's so small, everyone knows everyone, which also means that everyone knows everyone else's business. Now, most of those who lived in Tenasket struggled to make ends meet, but not Lacey's family. Lacey's last name was Hearst. Now this is not the same Hearst as the famously well-known Hearst of the media world. Uh, Their name wasn't even spelled the same. But in little Tenasket, Washington, the name Hearst meant something to everyone there. Not only did Lacey's family own most of the town, they ran a successful restaurant there as well. Now, even though Lacey had money, the family money didn't help her socially. And according to some who grew up with Lacey. Lacey
1: didn't have many female friends because she just had this rich girl attitude like, I'm better than you. The stuff she did do was solely trying to buy us because nobody really wanted to hang out with her.
0: When Lacey got to high school, things began to look up for her when she met a boy named Brandon. They began dating and Lacey liked him because she didn't feel like he just liked her for her money. He liked her for her. They continued to date and eventually they got married and they had two kids. As the years went on though, they started arguing more and more often. They began to grow apart. And some people guessed it was because Lacey was very controlling. This didn't surprise those who had grown up with her. Now, eventually, Lacey and Brandon did get divorced, and Lacey was determined to keep their children with her. She knew that her family name would help, and she also knew that she didn't have to worry about taking care of the kids because her family would help out. When she was with
1: Brandon, it was turmoil most of the time. Lacey's controlling, she's controlling. Brandon wasn't going to get those kids, there's no way. I mean, she's a Hearst, she has the kids.
0: Lacey also knew that it wouldn't be a problem to find a job in Tenasket. Even though others seemed to struggle, she landed a job in the finance area of a local car dealership. While Lacey was working at the car dealership she began a relationship with another guy she had known from high school, Danny Pavick. My mom called me up one day and said, you'll never believe who Danny's with. I was like, who? She goes, Lacey Hurst. Danny was the stoner, but the pretty boy at the same time. And all the girls liked him, all of them. Danny was laid back and handsome. And to top it off, he was great with Lacey's kids too. Danny and Lacey dated for eight years when one day Danny surprised Lacey by proposing to her. No one in town thought that that would ever have happened. So Lacey now had her own home, a stable job, and now she was remarried with a great stepdad for her kids. Her life was pretty much perfect. Danny and Lacey had a tight-knit friend group that they spent most of their time with as well. And one of these friends in this group was Tansy Mathis. Now, Tansy and Danny, Lacey's husband, had been friends since high school. Tansy, though, was known for being a bit of a free spirit. Whenever she attended a party, you could be sure that Tansy would make sure you had a good time. One of the rumors in town was that Tansy was a well-known drug dealer, specifically methamphetamine. At one of the many parties that Tansy went to, uh, she crossed paths with someone by the name of Michelle Kitterman, and the two immediately hit it off. Michelle, at the time, was 25. She was a hardworking single mom and was also very close to her twin sister along with her other family members. Now, Michelle's mom was especially proud of her. She talked about how Michelle held several jobs to support her child. Every so often though, Michelle had to cut loose and who of us doesn't need to do that sometimes? Michelle was often the center of attention wherever she went somewhere. And this is because she had that all American girl look and she was very sweet. This also meant that she drew a lot of attention from guys. At a party in November of 2008, one guy in particular was especially interested in Michelle. That guy, Danny Pavick, the same guy who had been dating Lacey for over eight years and had just gotten married to her. The attraction between Michelle and Danny was instant. Danny has started to grow tired of his responsibilities at home. And when Michelle came along, he felt that it was a nice break from his life. Danny would often call and tell Lacey that he was heading out with friends, which wasn't unusual, but instead he was meeting and having an affair with Michelle. Just a couple of months later though, the rumor mill eventually got back to Lacey and she found out what her husband had been doing. Now Lacey was shattered. She didn't know what to do. So she confronted Danny. It was then that she learned not only was Danny having an affair with Michelle, Michelle was pregnant. Michelle's mom would later say that Michelle was excited about the pregnancy and there was no doubt in her mind that she was going to have and keep the baby. So while Michelle was ecstatic, Lacey was full of rage Lacey's rage first went towards Tansy Mathis because it was Tansy after all who had introduced Michelle into their French circle. Tansy did feel guilty over what had happened and Tansy did whatever she could to convince Michelle to just stay away from Danny. Lacey in the meantime demanded that Danny end the affair. Michelle though, she didn't want any part of ending the relationship. She wanted Danny to herself and she wanted him to leave Lacey. Now Danny found himself in a tight spot. Though he was part of a well-known local family through his marriage to Lacey and he had become a stepfather to her children, he was also involved in a deep affair with Michelle who was now pregnant with his child. Lacey would find out that Danny had brought Michelle around her kids and he had even let Michelle use her, Lacey's, truck. Michelle didn't have a license, so Lacey went to the police and told Detective Redfield what was happening. Lacey also knew that Michelle was a drug user. So in early February of 2009, Lacey was successful in getting the police to stop Michelle while she was driving the truck without a license. The police also found drugs in the truck at the time that they stopped Michelle and they arrested her, but then released her a little later on. Now, what police didn't know at the time was that Lacey was so intent on getting Michelle arrested that she had a file folder at work with Michelle's name on it that contained all of the documents related to Michelle's arrest and her criminal charges. Lacey had become obsessed with Michelle, so much so that her thoughts of Michelle and her husband consumed most of her time even while at work. Now, co-workers would comment that Lacey couldn't stop talking about Michelle, Of course, you know, being a small town, everyone knew what was going on and it had to just be eating at her. I'm sure she felt embarrassed that everyone knew exactly what was happening in her life. And Lacey would constantly talk to coworkers and make different statements about Michelle. Here's what her coworkers had to say. Lacey had said that she just wanted Michelle to disappear and go away. Lacey told me, She was going to have Michelle taken care of, having some friends in Spokane that were gonna come fix this problem for her and make her disappear.
1: She would tell me that she hated Michelle and that she was gonna hire four people to take care of Michelle and the baby. Lacey called me and told me that she wanted to find someone to beat up Michelle, take care of her, get rid of her, that she'd be willing to pay money or drugs to have Michelle blanketed, meaning throwing a blanket over Michelle and having a bunch of people beat her up so she'd lose the baby.
0: Lacey certainly wasn't keeping her private thoughts to herself, that's for sure. And she wasn't shy in talking about what she would like to see happen. Many people, though, didn't take her seriously. And they just felt that Lacey's emotions were just getting the best of her. It didn't stop there, though. Near the beginning of February... Lacey decided she was going to talk with her friend, Tansy Mathis. And this is the one who had introduced Michelle to the group. Now, while she was angry with Tansy for bringing Michelle into their lives, she had another option for Tansy. Lacey drove to Spokane to talk with Tansy. They had a conversation about how they could get Michelle to go away. When Tansy realized the scope of what it was that Lacey wanted to do, she got concerned. She told Lacey that to make Michelle go away would be something she'd have to live with for the rest of her life. And she wasn't sure she was willing to do that. Plus she told Lacey it would cost her around $10,000 anyway. Lacey returned to work and told yet another coworker that she had gone to Spokane to hire someone to take care of Michelle, but couldn't go through with it and instead just came back home. Now Lacey's obsession with Michelle became so overwhelming that Lacey would end up taking a leave from work because her personal problems were interfering with her job performance. Lacey's rage continued to consume her. So around late February, She again met with Tansy for dinner in Omak, Washington, and this is about 30 miles south of Tenasket. After their dinner conversation, they both went shopping and Lacey purchased Tansy a prepaid cell phone. The next day, Lacey rented a 2008 Chevy Trailblazer from her car dealership. When she went to pick up the vehicle, two people were with her, Tansy and another man as soon as she had the car in her possession, she handed the keys to Tansy. That same day, and for three days afterward, multiple calls and text messages occurred between Lacey and Tansy. On February 28th, the last day of the month, Lacey called two people she knew who lived near Michelle. Now Michelle was staying with a friend And Lacey wanted these people to check and see if her husband and Michelle were at this friend's house. She told one of these people that it would all be handled by Monday and that she, Lacey, could go back to work and everything would be normal. Now, during this time, both Lacey and Michelle were forcing Danny to make a decision as to what he wanted to do And he wrestled with the decision for a very long time, well into the very start of March. Danny had finally decided what it was that he wanted to do and he had made up his mind, but before he could let the two women in his life know, something terrible happened. A call came in to the Okanagan Sheriff's Office on March 1st, 2009. The Okanagan Sheriff's Office wasn't far from Tenasket. The caller said that a body had been found about 125 feet from the base of a driveway off Overland Road in the foothills outside of Tenasket. When the police arrived, it was apparent there was a struggle. Strangely though, even though it was cold outside and cold enough to even have snow on the ground, the victim was found sitting on top of her jacket and her shirt and leaning against a fence. She had sustained multiple small puncture type wounds on her body and her abdomen, her back and her neck. And while the police obviously knew that she had been stabbed, it was unknown at the time what the weapon was. At the end of this driveway where they had discovered this woman, there was a worn out gate and this gate had traces of blood on one of its posts. The police then collected samples from the post. Investigators scoured the scene for any other leads and they found tire tracks in the mud on Stalder Road. They also found a single set of footprints which indicated that just one person walked from the gate up to where the body was. Now between the gate and the body were two black Mary Jane-like tennis shoes in different locations. And there were also a single set of footprints, which thankfully were still visible even though some snow had begun to melt. And these prints led directly to the body. The victim didn't have any identification, so they had no idea who she was. All that they knew was that she had a tattoo of a flower on her shoulder. At this point, the police took a photo of the tattoo and distributed it to nearby police stations. They're trying to find out if someone had filed a missing person report that matched the tattoo. It only took a couple of days before they received a call from an officer from the Tenasket area. And they were told that a report had come in about a girl that hadn't been seen in a couple of days. The call had come in from the girl's mother. When the sheriff's department checked the hair color and the tattoo of the girl reported missing to what they had found, it matched. The victim was Michelle Kitterman. Michelle's mom was contacted and she relayed the moment the detectives arrived at her door. He asked me if I'm Tracy
1: Kitterman and I said, yes. And he said, well, I need to speak to you about your daughter, Michelle and then he pulled out a couple pictures and I just sat there for, I don't know how long. Oh, this can't be true. I had my daughter with me. I said, look at this with me. Does that look like Michelle? I didn't want it to be Michelle. It was, it was her, I just lost
0: it. Now the police, during the time that they were waiting for the victim to be identified, an autopsy had been done And the victim, which we now know is Michelle, had over 30 stab wounds that appeared to be from an ice pick type of weapon. Some of the wounds had been inflicted so hard that you could see the imprint of the handle of the weapon. What baffled the police though was why so many of these wounds were around her abdomen area. These wounds also looked to be a little bit different They were larger, as though someone had put the ice pick, stabbed her with this ice pick, and then circled it around to make the opening bigger. It was then that they learned, to their horror, that Michelle had been 12 weeks pregnant. The speculation that was, whoever had done this crime wanted the baby dead, and this meant that the crime was very personal, Whoever did this knew that Michelle was pregnant. And Michelle's mom, she was asked if she knew anyone who would want to do such a thing. And she immediately thought that it was her boyfriend, Danny. She knew he was married and she knew that he was stuck in a situation where he had to make a life altering decision. It just made sense to her. So the police immediately found Danny and began to question him. When he learned that, of what had happened to Michelle, the police felt that his surprise and shock of her death was real, but they weren't ready to fully believe him. He admitted that yes, he had been having an affair with Michelle and yes, the baby was his. He denied however, having anything to do with Michelle's death and said that he'd been with his wife Lacey at home the entire night of the crime. He did admit though, that he had been with Michelle the day before, but had dropped her off at a friend's house. Police felt, as would anyone, that it was very, very suspicious that the woman he had been having an affair with and who was forcing him to decide between her and his wife had been found dead. So next, the police went and spoke to Danny's wife, Lacey. Lacey, too, admitted that she knew of Danny's affair with Michelle and that Michelle was pregnant. She also told them that yes, it made her angry, but she wasn't so angry that she would kill someone over it. It was then that the investigation took a totally different turn. Lacey ended up pointing the finger at Tansy Mathis, the rumored drug dealer and Danny's longtime friend. Now, Lacey told the police that she had heard that Michelle was going to rat out Tansy to the police about her drug dealing. Now this was new information to the police, but it still didn't answer one question. Why then had Michelle received so many stab wounds around her abdomen? The police believed the attack was because she was pregnant, not because she was going to snitch on her friend about drugs. The police were then trying to track down Tansy when they received a phone call that would change the case entirely. Now a police station three and a half hours away from Tenasket had received a call from someone who claimed to know everything about Michelle's murder. He didn't want to be blamed for just knowing this information and was honestly terrified for his own life. The caller's name was Brian Homan. Now Brian would not meet with detectives until they agreed to protect him. When they finally came to an agreement and met with Brian, they realized that yes, Brian did in fact know about how this happened because Brian mentioned an ice pick type weapon and the police had not released that bit of information. Brian then goes on to tell the police that he is an enforcer for Tansy Mathis and her drug dealing business. Tansy believed that Michelle was going to snitch on her and this information lined up with Lacey's story. Brian then says that Tansy and another of Tansy's enforcers who went by the nickname Hollywood as well as another guy named David Richards had been the ones to come to Tenasket and get rid of Michelle. Now Brian didn't seem to know Hollywood's real name So detectives had to do some work to find him. And when they showed Brian a group of pictures of men who all used this nickname of Hollywood, Brian was able to quickly point out one guy. His name was Brent Phillips. Now, Brian also went so far as to show the police where Tansy was staying. So what the police did is they staked out the area for some time when after a few days, she pops up and the police arrest her. Tansy refused to talk and immediately asked for an attorney. In the meantime, the man nicknamed Hollywood had been located in Seattle. Both Tansy and Brent Hollywood Phillips were now in jail, but during the time that Brent was there, he secretly spoke with the police and told them everything that it happened that night that Michelle was murdered. He was hoping it would help reduce his sentence. Now Brent Hollywood Phillips told the police that he was living in Spokane with David Richards. Now David was providing Brent housing and meth in exchange for Brent being David's quote tax man. Now as David's tax man, Brent would use force or scare tactics to get the money that's owed to him. Brent first heard about the crime the day before Michelle was murdered. David had told Brent that he needed someone to travel with him and Tansy to quote, go pick up dope and that there was a snitch that might need to be taxed. Now, David, knowing he was supposed to go with Tansy, tried to get his hands on a gun, but he wasn't able to. Tansy, though, was able to get David's favorite weapon, a handmade ice pick. When the day came for Tansy to pick up David and Brent, David wasn't there when they left, so they left without him. Tansy, it should be noted, arrived in the rented trailblazer. When Brent asked her about the car, she said that someone had rented it for her. As they drove, Tansy told Brent that they would get $1,000 for beating up the snitch and an additional $500 if anyone else got in the way. Tansy stopped at her house in Spokane, picked up her child and a friend, and then drove to the Tenasket area. While in Tenasket, she dropped off her child with a babysitter, and then went and picked up some drugs. Both of them then drove to Michelle's house. Now, before they went to the door, Tansy told Brent that there could be more money involved, $10,000 plus $5,000 for anyone additional in the way. That is, if things didn't go as planned and someone had to be killed. After knocking on the door and Michelle inviting them inside, Brent offered Michelle meth and the three of them smoked it together. Tansy then suggested that they all go to a nearby casino and eventually Michelle agreed and they all got into the trailblazer and they left. As they drove towards the casino, Tansy pulled over on Stalder Road in Republic, Washington because Michelle wanted to smoke more meth and Tansy said that she couldn't do it in the car. Michelle got out of the car to smoke and Tansy turned to Brent and said that it was Michelle who was the snitch. Now Brent took this as his cue to assault Michelle. Brent got out of the car and began to beat and choke Michelle. As Brent had Michelle on the ground, Tansy got out of the car and grabbed the homemade ice pick. She then began to stab Michelle in her stomach. Tansy told Brent to, quote, finish it, and Brent then stabbed Michelle several times. In total, Michelle would have sustained over 30 stab wounds. After Brent had finished, he took Michelle and threw her to the side of the road, got back in the car, and he and Tansy left, tossing the ice pick out the window. Brent thought that Michelle would just die from her injuries. As they're on their way in the car, Tansy started to make multiple phone calls. And as they neared the town of Republic, they stopped and cleaned and vacuumed the rental car. When they were done with this, they returned the trailblazer back to Lacey and Tansy and Brent then got into Tansy's car to take off towards Spokane. Before they left though, Tansy had to run some errands and she ended up giving Brian an envelope that contained $500 and Tansy told him to give it to David. Brent then told Tansy that David would prefer meth to the money. So Tansy took the money back and instead gave Brent drugs to give to David. Michelle was found the next morning on March 1st. In order for Tansy to cover her tracks, she contacted Brian Homan. Now, this is the same guy who had contacted the police and said that he had information about this crime. When Tansy called and contacted Brian, she had told Brian to pay a visit to Lacey to tell her to keep her mouth shut. And then she told Brian to kill Brent. This way... Only Tansy would be the one who truly knew what had happened. Tansy, the day after the murder ended up telling a friend, quote, "It wasn't supposed to happen like that." Now the police finally locate David Richards. He was the guy that was supposed to go with the group but who wasn't there when they had left. and he too was arrested. Now even though there were confessions and they had people arrested, The police still couldn't get past the fact that Michelle was stabbed in the abdomen. Why would she be stabbed there if it was just a hit on a potential snitch? It just didn't make any sense. So as detectives talked with Brent, they asked him, who was it that told Tansy that Michelle was going to snitch on her? And he said he didn't know, but that the car that they had used that night was a rental. And Tansy wasn't the one who rented it. Someone rented it for her. Now, as soon as the police heard this, they immediately began a search of rental records in the area. And they found the type of vehicle that had been rented and also discovered that this vehicle had been rented for about three days and driven 597 miles. It had also been rented over the same time that Michelle was killed. And when they dug deeper, they discovered who the person was that had rented the car for Tansy, and we now know it was Lacey. So detectives went to Lacey's workplace and talked with her co-workers to find out if Lacey had been acting any differently lately. And one co-worker said that Lacey was very upset and angry about the affair, and that Michelle was pregnant with her husband's child but that one day she would be doing fine and another day it just seemed as if something had broke in her mind and all she could talk about was how much she hated Michelle. On March 31st, 2009, and with the information that the police had so far, they felt that it was enough to arrest Lacey on suspicion of masterminding the murder of Michelle Kitterman. Police arrested Lacey on March 31st At her parents' house. After Lacey was arrested, she was interviewed by the detectives. And during this interview, she asked the detectives if they could stop recording so that she could tell them something. And they did. The detective who had interviewed her then said that Lacey asked him a question.
1: What would happen if I changed my story?
0: She then continued and said,
1: The truth was I wanted Michelle gone and the baby dead and that Tansy had asked me if this was what I wanted and I said it was.
0: Lacey gave even more incriminating statements to the police telling them that both her and her husband wanted Michelle to take care of the baby situation. Lacey also said that she knew Tansy needed a rental vehicle to go to Spokane to pick up people to quote, help her do whatever she was going to do. When Lacey got a text in the early morning hours that said Tansy was with Michelle, Lacey told the detectives that she assumed that Tansy was going through with her thing. With Tansy, Brent, AKA Hollywood, and David all under arrest and having their bail set at $1 million each, Lacey's attorney asked for a hearing to reduce her bail. Now this hearing was granted and the judge did agree to reduce Lacey's bail to just $25,000. The judge explained that she was well-known in the community and had her family was here, so he didn't feel as if she were a flight risk. Now Lacey's family immediately posted her bail and she was out and free on bond within hours while she was out on bond, Lacey tried to suppress evidence. So Lacey was now, she goes back to work. And while she's there, she tries to get and hide not only her work hour records, but also the records that talked about the car that she had rented. Now, in the meantime, here is Michelle's family and they all live in the same town. And here's Lacey, out on bond and they would see Lacey everywhere. Remember, it's a very, very small place. Lacey would be out with her husband, she'd be out living her life and just didn't seem to be worried about a thing. And the whole time, of course, Michelle is gone and her family has to watch Lacey doing all of these things. Now of all, everyone in the group, Lacey would be the last one to go to trial. Now, in the meantime, Brent Hollywood Phillips pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and to first-degree manslaughter and struck a plea deal in exchange for testifying against the other three. He still received 26 years in prison. So did David Richards. During Tansy's trial, Brent testified and told everything that had happened, most of which we already know at this point. What we don't know, though, is that when Brent did get back to Spokane, David asked Brent about the payment from Tansy. And he acted as if he knew that something had happened. He kept asking me what happened. And I wouldn't tell him what happened. And then I ended, he asked me again, he's, oh, come on, what happened? And I told him, I said, well the shit happened, man. Know what I mean? And he said, well, when you get ready to tell me, you know, I'm here to listen. That's what he said.
1: At some point, did he ask you for payment? He asked me if I had anything for him from Tansy,
0: and I said, I said, yeah, and I handed him the dope, and he looked at it and said, this is all, and I said, yeah, brent testified that david was upset upon seeing the amount of methamphetamine that was provided and after that he was trying to get a hold of tansy now tansy Mathis and david richards were actually tried together and each of them testified and tansy claimed that she had made the trip to tanaskat on the night of michelle's murder only to drop off drugs and to talk to Michelle about leaving Danny, Lacey's husband. She said David was supposed to have come up with her to make sure she would be safe, but when it came time to leave, Brent was the only one who had showed up. Tansy claimed that it was Brent who threw Michelle to the ground, who punched her, who stabbed her with the homemade ice pick and then left her on the side of the road. Tansy was ultimately convicted of first-degree aggravated murder and first-degree manslaughter, along with first-degree kidnapping and concealing physical evidence. She received life without parole. No one, not Tansy, not Hollywood or David, ever implicated Lacey in the crime. Although Tansy had good reason to, You know, maybe she was hoping that Lacey, with her connections, would be able to get her out early. Who knows? On November 1st of 2010, though, Lacey finally went to trial. Now, the prosecution talked about how mad Lacey was, that her husband had been having an affair and that the woman was pregnant. They then talked about how Lacey had put a plan into place so that Tansy, along with the people who were loyal to her, would take care of Michelle, for Lacey. Lacey did have several meetings with Tansy and ended up manipulating Tansy and making her believe that Michelle was going to snitch on her to the police. Now further, Lacey was the one who provided Tansy with the rental car that was used in the crime. The defense said that Lacey only did this to help out a friend because, you know, Tansy needed to move and run some errands. It was then that Lacey's previous co-workers all got on the stand and testified to what Lacey had told them while she was still working for the car dealership. It was all damning testimony. Now, Brent Hollywood Phillips said that Dave Richards and Tansy Mathis came to him about, quote, taxing a snitch. He explained that he was Dave Richards' tax man, which meant that he collected debts from people who failed to pay for the drugs that Dave Richards sold. Brent testified that on the night of the murder, he wasn't sure what the ultimate plan was. He asked Tansy, what's going on? Are we going to be doing a drug deal or taxing somebody or what? And according to Brent, Tansy told him, were gonna tax a snitch. He then said that events went way far ahead of this original plan and that Michelle was ultimately killed. Now, Brian, the one who had originally contacted the police and kind of started this whole thing rolling, uh, testified that Tansy had called him after the murder and told him that she and Brent had agreed to beat up a snitch for pay, but that the situation had gotten out of hand and Brent had grabbed an ice pick and stabbed Michelle. The prosecution then laid out exactly what happened to Michelle, that Tansy and her group had pulled off onto a remote road and beaten and then stabbed Michelle several times. Many of these stab wounds were to her abdomen and were specifically intended to kill the child she was carrying. Now, even though Michelle was still alive, they left her there in the cold to die alone. Michelle, however, had enough strength to pull herself up the driveway. She was trying to get to the house for help. And while she was trying though, she was losing a lot of blood and she began to suffer from hypothermia. And this would explain why her jacket and her shirt were off and she was sitting on them. When you get hypothermic, you begin to essentially overheat. So it would make sense that she took off her jacket and her shirt. Before she could get help, though, Michelle passed away. After multiple witnesses got on the stand to testify against Lacey, it was apparent that Lacey was consumed By her husband's affair with Michelle and Michelle's pregnancy. Lacey wanted Michelle to terminate the pregnancy. Lacey constantly made disparaging comments to others, her work deteriorated, and she made many attempts to have Michelle arrested for drug dealing and driving Lacey's truck without a license. She constantly contacted others regarding her husband and Michelle's whereabouts. And ultimately, Lacey contacted and facilitated others to confront Michelle, resulting in Michelle's homicide and the death of her unborn child. Now, Lacey's attorneys argued that Lacey wasn't even there, which is in fact true. Could Lacey still be convicted of the same crimes as Brent, as Tansy, and as David? She wasn't there and had no actual contact with Michelle on the day she died. But this is when a few bombshells hit in the courtroom. The first was that through cell phone records, it was discovered that Lacey was in constant contact with everyone involved in Michelle's murder, both the day of and directly after Michelle was killed. The police were able to take all of the phone records from everyone and put it into a timeline And during the time of michelle's attack nothing happened there was no activity on the phones because where michelle was killed was a dead zone for cell service now after michelle was attacked and once they all got within cell range again the communication started up immediately with lacy the second bombshell was the detective who had interviewed lacy got on the stand and told the court that during the interview process Lacey had asked if she could shut off the tape recorder and he agreed and he quit recording. What Lacey didn't know though, was that just because the tape was shut off, didn't mean that anything she said still wasn't something that could be used in evidence. This is when Lacey made the statement that she did, in fact, want Michelle gone and the baby dead. Now the last bombshell, was that after the Okanagan County Sheriff's Department did an investigation into the meetings that Lacey had had with Tansy, they discovered that Lacey had paid Tansy $500 to get rid of Michelle. This was the same night they had met to have dinner in Omak. Now, additionally, the day that Lacey had called friends to see if Michelle and her husband were at Michelle's house was the same night that Michelle was murdered. Lacey did admit to detectives during interviews that she said, quote, lots of things to lots of people, including expressing the wish that Michelle would just go away. She told the detective that she never asked Tansy to kill Michelle. Lacey then said that Tansy told her it would cost $10,000 to have someone killed. And Lacey had said, I'm not willing to do that. Now, after the state had rested, Lacey's attorney moved for dismissal saying that nothing showed Lacey intended Michelle to die. It didn't work and the trial went on. When the case went back to the jury on November 16th of 2010, it only took them five hours of deliberation to come back with a verdict. Lacey was found guilty of first-degree premeditated murder and first-degree manslaughter for an unborn child. On December 2nd, 2010, and this is two weeks after Lacey was found guilty of murder, she was sentenced. Before her sentence was handed out, though, the families were allowed to speak, and Michelle's mother got up and said the following.
1: I am angry, full of hate, frightened, and constantly confused. I have a huge hole in my life, and I'm not sure how to start anew. I can't breathe, and it feels like something heavy is on my chest when I have a panic attack. I have nightmares, and they do not stop when I am awake. I am depressed 99% of the time. I only wish Lacey had been able to inform me this was disturbing her and her marriage because I would have done everything I could have to help.
0: Lacey was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Lacey, along with the others already convicted, were also ordered to pay $13,992.50 to the Kidderman family. They were also ordered to pay court fees of $860.50. In 2012, Lacey lost an appeal to have her murder and manslaughter convictions overturned. She currently remains in jail. There was a lot going on in this story, but the one thing that kept sticking with me as I researched it was that everyone involved really believed they'd get away with it. You know, maybe they thought that because Lacey and her family's money would help them out, but you know, it didn't even help Lacey. They weren't exactly criminal masterminds, but then again, if if everyone involves a meth head at the time that this is happening, and I, oh my gosh, I do not mean to take this lightly for Michelle's murder, because it was just horrible, but you know, if they're all on drugs, I mean, what, what else do you expect? None of this would have happened had Lacey's husband just kept his dit, Remain faithful. It always surprises me how women who are cheated on go after the woman first when they find out that their other half is cheating. Why not go after the one who's in the relationship? They're at fault too. You know, I often wonder what Danny was thinking throughout this whole ordeal. Anyway, that's it for this episode. Uh, coming up is another installment of the Darley-Routier trial, and this is part 10. And here we'll hear from Denise Falk. Uh, she's another ICU nurse who attended to Darley. Then we'll hear from Thomas Ward, a peace officer with the city of Ralette, who searched the area around the Routier home the night of the crime and the one who found the sock in the alley at the rear of the house. And finally, we'll hear from Gustavo Guzman, who was 18 at the time and lived just down the road from the Routiers. He had found items in his backyard that were strange and the police had deemed them totally unrelated to the crime. So that should be really interesting. So until then, everyone, thank you so much for listening. You are also very, very, very appreciated. Stay safe and we'll talk real soon.